0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. This is me, Dave Wakeman. I am your host. Um, first thing today, I want to mention that I have a really great guest by the name of Ruth Hart. And if you are anywhere around arts and entertainment and tickets and arts marketing, you have probably seen Ruth's post, uh, Maybe you've even seen the commercial she created from uh, pulling together bits and pieces around the internet. Uh, She works uh, with a tool from the Clayton Christensen Institute called Jobs to be Done. Uh, This was a really great conversation. Um, I think we really, 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 really are aligned on this thing. So Ruth is awesome. Uh, Before we get to Ruth, though, I want to tell you I am planning the world's first podcast based conference called a podference hannah Graneman, who was the last guest on the podcast shared this idea with me and i was like oh we should do this thing it'll sound like fun so i've taken this on uh we're going to try to do it for like the last i think the last week of april um each day we're going to put out a few different uh podcast panels podcast episodes uh so all focused around the theme of recovery um so there is a link in the podcast show notes. Or you can send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. I will get it to you. I want to make sure that I get you the information, the people, the ideas you need to make this thing successful. I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be great. And I'm going to figure out how to do this thing uh, because why the hell not? We haven't ha- had a lot of fun things to always look forward to over the last two years. So this is going to be awesome. So pod prints is what it's called. Uh, check out if you haven't already, an old friend of the podcast, Corey Left, who does the John Wall Street Newsletter, has a really cool story coming up with me and Simon Mab about refund protection. Uh, and this just goes on to highlight some of the really interesting things about refund protection and recovery from the pandemic, including the increase in rate of uptake by customers, the usefulness of it, you know, what to look for, what not to look for in a good or bad refund protection provider. It's all there. Check out Sportico to get the John Wall Street newsletter. I'll share the link to the story when it's live. And check out Booking Protect so you can find out how to offer your guests a better refund protection experience. Um, now, uh, the rates of refund uptake have probably doubled that means that where people were taking 10 or 15 percent before uh, now they're taking up 20 to 30 percent you know and that just is a clear sign that people are still uncertain about the virus they want a little bit more security a little bit of peace of mind in their purchases so check out bookingprotect.com uh, also make sure that you get the talking tickets newsletter each week talk tickets five stories well, just a little different now, but you get four stories and uh, some links and blurbs and little hit, quick hits from me, talkingtickets.substack.com. It's the first place usually where you find out stuff that's going on in the Slack channel, which you can get as well. Um, any webinars, classes, appearances, talks, anything I'm doing, uh, because this year I want to make sure that I'm always focused on recovery, uh, strategy, marketing, and branding. So TalkingTickets.Substack.com Now back to Ruth Ruth Hart is uh, with the Clayton Christensen Institute And she is a former opera singer So we, she did this really great commercial on LinkedIn I thought it was amazing I shared it in the Talking Tickets newsletter I emailed her, I said Oh, I think that what you're doing is awesome Would you come on the podcast? And she did Which was great because I was like What kind of... uh, you know, glutton for punishment is she that she would come and do this. But we talk about Clayton Christensen and the business theory called Jobs to Be Done. We talk about how that leads you to be more innovative, more customer focused, and how the idea, while popularly popularly applied to social issues or the world of business, is just as valuable in the world of arts and arts marketing. And for me. It's just relevant in sports and concerts, theater everywhere. Uh, we talk about the decline of arts audiences. We talk about the need to be more customer centric. We talk about um, you know how to get out of your own head when you're thinking about your customers. We talk about um, you know, you aren't your customer, which is definitely an idea that comes up with me all the time. We talk about demographics. We talk about uh, economic status. We talk about competition. We talk about choices, uh, data, millennials, uh, customer behavior, social issues. Like I mentioned at the side, we talk about the Sydney Opera, intention to action. Uh, We even talk about uh, Aubrey Bergauer and the um, uh, who was on the podcast before the pandemic started uh, and some of the stuff she's doing. I mean, we, we hit a lot. So. Um, you know, it's really about the importance of talking to real live people. It's really about the importance of doing the proper work of marketing. And it's really about understanding what's going to give you a chance to be successful or not coming out of the pandemic. So this is a great, uh, check out this conversation between me and Ruth Hart. All right, we should
1: be recording now. I want to welcome Ruth Hart to the business fund podcast. Ruth, thank you so much for doing this. I have been tracking you down for weeks now. I've been like, you have to come on this thing. You have to uh, allow me to like uh, share your ideas with everybody. So thank you for coming.
2: Dave, thanks so much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, I don't necessarily always try to schedule people that I seem to agree with most things on, uh, but it seems to happen. So, so welcome. <laughs> uh, actually, you have like uh, so. All kidding aside, though, you have a really, really great and keen point of view. That the first time I saw uh, your post on LinkedIn, I believe it was an ad that you created using stock footage, and uh, you know, like you you did like. Which sounds a lot like what I do here—the uh, very most basic tools to create what you considered a more customer-focused ad for an arts organization—and I thought it was great because most of the time I beat on people and I talked to like in sports and concerts and theater the whole deal about like stop navel gazing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it seemed that you were like going look stop navel gazing, but um, you know how'd you come up with this idea to create an ad, you know your own ad campaign for arts organization?
2: Well, let me let me start with a tiny bit of background, um, which will help you understand my perspective. So I actually come from the arts world. I was an opera singer and a music educator for many years. And um, when I finally decided it was time to get a job that actually paid the bills, uh, I I landed at the Clayton Christensen Institute Um, and Clayton Christensen was a Harvard Business School professor a um, uh, writer of many best-selling books and a developer of business theory. Um, and his ideas really transformed the landscape of the business sector. Um, it really changed how people thought about innovation and about the customer. Um, and at the Institute, what we're doing is we're taking these business theories and we're actually applying them to social issues. So we're trying to transform uh, education and healthcare and poverty. And um, so, as I became familiar with these ideas, it started to dawn on me, you know, hang on, we've got a problem in the arts sector, and um, the the problem of this decline of our audiences, and you know, maybe these ideas can help. Um, so I started, you know, reading and researching and writing about this, and it's it's it just became so clear to me that this idea of customer centricity was really integral to um, the the change that we need to make in the arts sector. Um, you know, National Endowment for the Arts tells us that audiences have declined for classical music for about by about fifty percent in the last two decades. That's huge, you know. Um, and there's so much. There's millions of dollars that have been spent researching best practices and audience development, but we're not really seeing declines. Uh, we're not really seeing this decline reverse. Mm-hmm. I lost you for a second there. Yeah, for about
1: (laughs) 15 seconds there. Um, Okay, okay, so you started, you were talking about the 50% decline in audience and that we aren't seeing, despite all this money that the National Endowments of the Arts is investing, we aren't seeing any change. Yes,
2: yeah. And
1: see, this is what I always avoid is having to edit. Now I got to edit.
2: Oh, (laughs) man. Let me start, I'll start right around that spot and hopefully. Sure, yeah, of course. Oh,
1: Oh, don't worry about it. I was just like, damn it, I'm going to have to edit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I think what's what's really missing from this conversation is, you know, the real live customer Um, and the arts sector doesn't like to use that term. We don't like to call our audiences our customers. But but, you know, here's what the business sector knows. They know that consumers buy products or services or let's say concert tickets, um, not because of who they are, but because of who they want to become. So in other words, they're not paying for the product, they're actually paying for the outcome that they're seeking. And so, and this is what we call jobs to be done theory. This is one of the theories that Clayton Christensen um, was uh, integral and really pulling, putting forward in the business sector. Um, And and what this tells us is that, you know, all this demographic data that we're, you know, sorting through to try to understand our audiences, it's really not that useful. I know blasphemous, right? Um, what's actually more important is these real live customer stories because when you dig into them um, when you really sit down with a customer, you're gonna find that they're not buying tickets just to hear beautiful orchestral music, right they're not buying tickets just to see you know historic works of art. there are other motivations that drive their purchasing purchasing decisions. Um, And this is, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Clayton Christensen. He says, unless you understand the full context in which your customers are making a choice to hire your product or service, you will be unlikely to create the right offering for them. You'll just be treading water with them until they fire your product and hire one that understands them better. So that's where I got my, you know, the name of my blog, Culture for Hire, right? Um, So I think, you know, understanding this, understanding all these latent motivations, that's really a game changer for audience development um, because you instantly have a whole different perspective on how to frame your marketing and your strategy. It's it's really, I think, a seismic shift. Um, and you you realize customers don't care how amazing a product is or how amazing its or you know its its purveyors are. They all they really want to know deep down inside is how can this product transform me? How can it help me meet my goals in life? How how can it help me become who I want to be? So you're turning that camera lens around from your organization from that really traditional egocentric approach to to your target audiences to the people in your community to that you know to the customer-centric approach and so that that ad that i pulled together of the stay-at-home mom you know ending up at the symphony um you know escaping to the symphony that was all based on these ideas
1: so all right, let me, I'm gonna ask a couple of really ridiculous questions that I already know the answers to, but that seems to be just where I'm at these days. Um, so so this applies to everybody, right? Like just the idea of jobs to be done and customer not caring necessarily about what they're buying, it's about the job to be done. It would apply to concerts, right? And it would Absolutely. apply to sports, mm-hmm. right? And it would apply to theater and the performance and it would apply to museums and, it would apply to where won't it apply?
2: Oh, it applies to everything. Absolutely. Oh, okay. it, it applies to, you know, where you choose to work, right? Yeah. What where what organization do you, you choose to work for? It applies to marriage and who you choose to marry and in you know what they're looking <laughs> for in the house. I mean, it really it it's you know, it applies to parenting. It's you know, uh <laughs> across it the board. Is
1: true. It, it, it's it's um it, it, it I, I did that to be ridiculous because this this uh, this whole idea has been uh, I have been talking about it constantly now for years. And, you know, I use a different term for it, but it's called being market oriented. Yes. And, and, but it's the same thing. It's like well, we were I think we were talking about earlier in the week when we were scheduling this about doing the flip. And, you, and we use the same language, <laughs> mm-hmm. and everything. It's a little but you have to you, 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 the, the challenge. Uh, that I see a lot and I'm curious about the way you do. And I think I just, dis- I, I believe I described it to you. So again, this is like one of those things where I've like feel like I'm seeding the podcast with somebody who's going to agree with every idea that I'm going to throw out there. Uh, and that may be true is it's always like a, uh, ex- it's always an executive that go like, and it's always a guy uh, that like loosens his tie and goes, Hey, I'm going to tell you exactly what the customer wants, and right. and I, and I would want to hear. I want you to describe to me how dangerous that is because they've heard it from me. Uh, probably a, these people have heard it from me a million times if they've heard it once.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you, will, will you explain to why that's so dangerous?
2: Well, here. Well, here's what we're seeing in in traditional arts marketing, right? So, um, the photos on the website. All you're seeing are the conductor, the guest artists, the musicians, the composers. Um, the language that's being used is just, you know, this elevated, descriptive, flowery language. Um, you know, all the copy centers around, um, you know, how, you know, virtuosic the artists are. You know, the organization's achievements, how beautiful, how powerful the repertoire is. Um, it's just not relevant <laughs> to. You know, people in our communities—that's um, not their world. Uh, you know, we, as you know, our artists and arts administrators, we've been steeped in this world for decades. You know, but um, the uninitiated, the outsiders that Nina Simon talks about—they have no context whatsoever. They don't care about our glowing bios. You know, they—they—they want to hear, um, you know, their language. They want to see familiar imagery. That's what's going to draw them in. Um, they and they, they want to know how is this going to transform my life? Is it worth the cost, the effort? Am I going to fit in there? You know, do my values align? There's so many questions that they're asking every day as they're making choices, and if you're not answering these questions up front, you're wasting your time.
1: Yeah. Now uh, there was another point that you made in the in the in the first answer about the demographics and about how demographic information is mostly useless mm-hmm. uh in my newsletter i often use the there's a compa- there's a photo an ad agency i think in london used that created it i don't remember where i can't properly attribute it just now but it shows prince charles and ozzy osborne side by side and they yes. have like all their demographic information is exactly the, the same, same. yes um, uh, for a podcast guest from a few a few episodes ago a few months back uh zoe skeman i think it was zoe who said this to me she goes uh, if you are segmenting your market based on demographics, it's like it's like picking who you're going to target based on astrology. And I was like, "Well, well that's awesome." Uh, <laughs> Great. So now, when you look at this, right, and you think about demographics versus, I teach people uh, behavioral segmentation. Again, this is like I, I feel like I'm being a jerk when I'm asking these questions because I, the answer is like obvious when you when you're when we're talking. It's um. Mm-hmm how many how do you teach people to look at this because and i guess i'll frame the question a little bit differently but so i don't sound like a jerk because aren't people if you're looking at just demographics you are leaving so many opportunities to engage a new or different audience on the table or am i am i completely pulling no, stuff you, out of thin air
2: you absolutely are because um you you know clay clay christians always like to say we're getting the categories wrong right the category is not you know um uh, economic status or you know age or whatever it's it's what's the job to be done right mm-hmm. so um a job to be done is solution agnostic which means it can be solved by many many different things um so what that means is um competition for arts organizations isn't just other arts organizations right. competition is um, sporting events, um, restaurants, um, Netflix, a glass of wine, you know, whatever the job is, you know, and however the, um, customers are solving that job, that's what the category is. And when you start to think about it that way, the market expands dramatically, right? Because somebody who's using Netflix as a solution in their life could potentially be convinced to use an orchestral concert. You know, it's, it's all in how you understand their emotional and social context, and how you reach out to them based on those concepts.
1: So let me ask you this then: uh, Are most of the time when you're dealing with like you know you're dealing with the arts most of the time? Well, I guess you, with working at the Clayton Christ, Christensen Institute, you work with all across the board this is something I've always kind of noticed about people. They don't always understand who the customer, I mean, their competition is right mm-hmm. all the time. They do a, a very poor job of defining who the cop, their competitive set is. And to me, it sounds like if you look at it through the lens of jobs to be done, it changes that competitive set too, because the thing is, is like, instead of saying, well, yeah, I mean, because like you said, glass of wine, sporting event, a lot of times your, your competition is not doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you you, yes. know, you have to fight inertia. Right. Like mm-hmm. I want to do something cultural, but it just seems so hard. And, you know, so how do you deal with that? Like helping people understand how to redefine their competition, because I think that that really at least in my experience, it helps people a lot. Right. Because if you can show them like, Hey, look, this is your really your competition, you know, you're like fighting the laundry that needs to be done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you walk people through that?
2: Yeah. It it's amazing how the world is so full of, um of choices now. Right. I mean, there's, there are so many options for people and it can be paralyzing, I think to to pick sometimes. Um but I think it, it really comes down to thinking about who are who are our audiences who are who are the people in our community and what are their needs? what are their, what are their wishes? what are their um, problems they're trying to solve? And it really you know you you can do a general guesstimate um, I like mm-hmm. to talk about you know the um, the businessman um, whose boss is coming into town and he wants to you know show him a good time and impress him so he hires, what does he hire to help him with that? He could hire the orchestra. He could hire a number of different mm-hmm. things um, or, you know, the, the romantic guy who wants to impress his sophisticated date and what are his options? Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you start to really narrow down into a real customer and what their situation is, that's when you can start to understand what their choices are, what their competition is and how to really um, engage them.
1: And, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question. I think I, that I pro- maybe though the answer to, to when you dig down like this, right? And and this will be cu- I'm curious about this from your point of view because most of the time, um, what I find is that people lock themselves into these mindsets where they can't they can only do a certain things a certain way in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. If you are smart about the way you approach this thing, you you know, using jobs th- to be done theory or just calling it market orientation, I think they they all mean something very similar. Mm-hmm. You can also end up finding out that you can charge people more. You can make more money, which should be a prime exam- idea too, because yes. if you can't fund your mission, you can't keep going on, which I think is always like you talk about like arts doesn't want to talk about customers. They think the financial side is bad. Uh, Ruth and I are here to tell you the financial side is good. It keeps us gives us the money to keep going. It's great. Yes. Um, but, you know, is that what you see or is that how is that something that you are able to convince people of or, you know, or like, is that still something people are reluctant to look at?
2: Well, it, it's absolutely true. And it's it's true in any industry. I, I wrote a piece recently about Spirit Airlines. And I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with Spirit yeah. Airlines, but everyone hates Spirit Airlines. <laughs> um, <laughs> no one has good things to say about it. But guess what? Their, their net profits averaged around $285 million a year um, from 2014 to 2019, consistently well above industry average. Okay, <laughs> why is that? It's because, okay, the answer, you find the answer in a real customer story. Um, there mm-hmm. are consumers out there, many of them who um, they're making trade-offs based on what they value most, right? So whether it's price or convenience or time of day, one trade-off always trumps another. And so for Spirit I- Airlines, these customers are willing to trade a, a bad flying experience for dirt cheap tickets. Um, and so, no, I'm not I'm not gonna promote, you know, selling arts tickets for dirt cheap. What I'm saying is that, you know, we gotta find out what our audiences are prioritizing. So, um, if, if they're young parents they might prioritize a concert that is happening um midday you know and is is featuring content that's targeting children um, and they're they might be willing to pay more in fact this has been proven that to be true that they're willing to pay more for those types of concerts maybe they're Job to be done is not having to entertain their children for an hour and a half, (laughs) you know. So you need to figure out who are who are the people in our audiences. What do they prioritize? Um, And you got to provide those options, those trade offs, and then you can price accordingly.
1: You're saying so. My credit card statements from the 2011, 2012, 2013 timeframe, when there was like lots and lots of Yo Gabba gaba, and I forget (laughs) the other one, Uh, is totally right. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely yep. normal. Um, <laughs> but what it, what it sounds like though, when you're in Ryanair, so like if Spirit Airlines doesn't hit anybody, Ryanair is the same deal, right? In Europe, they also make boatloads of money. I, I think their perception by their market is a little bit better than Spirit Airs. Like Spirit Air is a little, like has a little bit worse reputation, but it's the same deal, and they make way more money than any other airline. It seems like because of this the trade-off people are willing to make those trade-offs and so i want to ask you then like because this price thing right and like you know i what i, I guess how i'll frame it is i hear a lot of times people talk about the price of theater or like you know the price of art or opera or whatever it is you know and they go well people just won't pay for that you know mm-hmm. and they, they or they just that they just don't perceive they just won't put the value in it mm-hmm. um you know they just don't and I go. Of course, people won't pay for anything that they don't find the value in, right? And that's just a job of marketing, right? You know, like if you just think the the market is going to wave its magic arms and it's going to uh, out of thin air create an audience for you, then a, like either A, you're saying that marketing and sales is worthless, which I, mm-hmm. I, I've got a whole career full of full of projects that probably says you're wrong, mm-hmm. and B that like there's nothing you can do, which I've also got a whole career worth of stuff that can can do wrong um so this this make like the actual process of like surveying and doing research on your audience that much more important so that you can understand like out of the people who are already there like why they're really coming right as opposed to just assuming they're coming because oh the mm-hmm. nutcracker is this magical thing right which the nutcracker is amazing so don't get the rockets are awesome uh, mm-hmm. but but they're not coming because they they can't not, they, they have to see the Nutcracker or, or the Rockettes every year. They're coming for something else. And mm-hmm. I talk about research all the time. So doesn't this make that process like so much more important?
2: I really think it does. Um, I, I think there's a lot of assumptions that um, arts organizations are making and have been making for many, many years. Um, you know, they, 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 they assume that their um, target audiences want to hear them talk about themselves um, but in fact, the opposite is true, right? And they assume that their patrons should love their art as much as they do. But it's not always about the art. And this is, <laughs> you know, heart wrenching for, for artists to hear, but it's true, you know, um, the customers are buying tickets, you know, for the simple fact that maybe they want to buy their elderly mother a, a a a unique birthday present you know um Mm -hmm. or someone's lonely and they're new to the area and they want to get to know they want to get connected to to the community um Mm -hmm. there's so many of these stories out there that are shared by many many people they're not just one-offs right and when you start to dig down and 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 understand these stories you can really start to change your strategy and your marketing um and shape it around these needs these customer needs
1: yeah and uh, it goes back to like where we kind of started here, even. It's like when you're, if you stop segmenting your audience based on demographics. So if you get out of the astrology business and get into the business of marketing, you're going to segment your audience based on behavior, which is what I teach people to do. And I saw, I have a really great, it's sitting here. I can't wave it around because I don't want anybody to see it, uh, but a really great customer segmentation. And it's named by people like and one of them uh, because it's like so appropriate for the when we're recording this just before christmas is the clark griswold and they're like so it's a family family (laughs) like you know this is the family thing and they're doing the thing it it, but it it draws a distinct picture and the Mm -hmm. way you're going to sell to clark griswold Mm -hmm. is much different than the way you're going to sell to let's say ozzy osbourne right or or prince charles and Mm -hmm. it's just it's amazing to me that people don't take uh, that they are so reluctant to take this step back and look at the market, the way it is as the way it they want it to be. And it, so like my question to you on this is, you know, how, you know, how do you have that conversation? Because most people are so set in their ways on, you know, this, like it has to be this way because it's always been this way, mm-hmm. um, you know, things never change. Like, this is our thing. And like, we're, we're just going to sell set ourselves up and sell ourselves down the road to uh, eventual destruction of our industry because uh, the people who will always love the arts are the only people who will love the arts. I, yes. and I, and, and an example, too, to give you a chance to formulate your, your answer. I grew up in northern Georgia, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we're going to go there tomorrow, even. There's like maybe 5,000. I had no idea what an uh, opera was, a theater, the, a bro- I had no idea what a Broadway was until, you know, and here I am, like, A, I've sold hundreds of millions of dollars in tickets to like all this stuff over the years. And, um, I will go to like, see the theater, the arts, the concerts, the, any of this stuff, every chance I get. But if you, if you, if you looked at me just by demographic data, you'd say like, Dave is completely not my audience and you'd be missing out on like, I don't know how much money I spend on arts, but it's a lot. So, uh, but you know, how do you, how do you, how do you get people off of that thing to understand that like, the market's always moving. People are always changing. Change is constant. The way we do things is not always the right way to keep doing things.
2: I mean, you just look at the data, really. Uh, <laughs> you look at the data that comes out from the National Endowment of the Arts every couple of years around, you know, how many people are attending uh, classical music, and it's it's declined precipitously over the past two decades. And it's, it's kind of terrifying when you think about well, where are we going to be in 20 years when these, you know, 60, 70, 80 year olds that are going now are, are, are aging out, you know, are, <laughs> where are we going to be? something they, has to give, you know, we almost need the video of this one because we like, our. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it really is scary. And I think there's, you know, our, our target audiences now are, you know, the millennials and the millennials are so entirely different from the previous generation. They're more diverse. They have a different understanding or different, a broader definition of what constitutes culture. Um, So there, there's so many things you need to understand about that, that demographic as well. They, they prefer interactive experiences. Um, But then, you know, I I just sit people down and I say, okay, let's just watch some commercials from the business sector, from the for-profit sector because they've got it. i mean for the most part not not all organizations have this customer centric focus but a lot of them do especially the fortune 500 companies and they it's all about the customer they barely even mention the organization or the product right and it's telling stories um and I think when you, when you, when you see those side by side, where you sit down and you watch an orchestra ad and then you watch, you know, like a Nike commercial, you, it Mm -hmm. hits you in the face. This is so entirely different. We really need to make this change.
1: Yeah. Oh, no. I, and to highlight this idea too, of the, um, millennials, you know, and again, we are playing in the world of astrology a little bit by like saying, like talking about this, but it does bring up a, um, a good point, because when I went to Australia at the end of 2019 to give a uh, give a talk in, in Sydney at this conference, uh, I I I, I have queried countless arts organizations around Australia and New Zealand, uh, even like Singapore and Canada, uh, who knew that all these people would come see me. Uh, it was mm-hmm. great. Uh, but one of the key things that they came back to me was like, oh, we we want to hear about how to overcome this idea that seems to be pervasive, which is that old, you know, and to fight back against this idea that older and whiter will continue to work forever. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that probably doesn't sound very good. And I was like, then it's like a middle-aged white guy they asked to, to explain how older and whiter is. I was like, that's a reach, but <laughs> I'm here for you. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, but it highlights this thing. It's like what work got you this far, but what's going to get you to the next stage of, you know, your yeah. organization's life cycle whatever might not necessarily be the same thing and you have to kind of be really willing like you said to look at organizations that are outside of your industry because just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's right right because if, if the whole industry is losing people then that should not, that shouldn't be like going, well if everybody else is doing it I'm fine no I know that happens mm-hmm. it should be like going, well who's doing stuff that's well and you know you talked about nike um, the Van Gogh, the interactive Van Gogh exhibit that's kind of tr- touring the world right now is a really good example of finding a way to, you know, people want to experience the art. They want to do it in a different way. It's a job to be done. And it's, they're making tons and tons of money because I know the people. They do it. And it's like everywhere I see one, there's lines. Like Miami, I was there. Uh, DC, there's huge lines. It's like, it's great. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the quest, you know, there's so many questions, Ruth. There's always questions. Uh, well, I but, you know, it? like, where, where, like uh, you know, how do you fight that resistance? Because I know that, like, and I guess I've asked this question a couple different ways, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is how do we get people comfortable with going, hey, look, this thing, like, works for me here. And just because I'm not seeing it somewhere else in the arts, I can use it, right? Because that seems to be a, like, that seems to be a big challenge. and it's it's in the arts and it's definitely in sports, right? Like I can only do what everybody, I can only benchmark myself against my sector, like the people in my sector. And I'm like, well, and you shouldn't be benchmarking yourself because this is world-class stuff. This is once in a lifetime experiences. These things, they they only happen once, right? Because you're never going to have that same cast with that same audience in that same place at the same time ever again. It's always a once in a lifetime experience. I mean- Maybe I'm a, just a good marketer. I don't know, but it seems all it seems obvious to me. But yeah, i I need to steal from you because you you you, you know you you can give me some ideas on how to topple <laughs> top this.
2: Well, you know, I think also that we have to look at consumer behavior too, because I think it's changed so dramatically with um, social media and you know Yelp reviews and Google re- business reviews and all of that. the The power now is held by the consumer and. Um, people are making their choices very differently these days, right? They're, they hate marketing, everyone's blocking marketing, everyone is not watching ads anymore, but what they're doing is they're getting recommendations from family and friends, right? So part of this shift is finding out how to create that word of mouth, that organic word of mouth, um, you know, the free marketing engine. Um, and I think one of the other things that's super important to recognize is that consumers are now making choices based on values. And it's 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 a really big shift, but it's super important. It's very tied to the millennial mindset. Um, millennials are, I think, 68% of millennials are um, say that they are actively working to create change in the world. Um, and so, a lot of consumers these days are are trying brands because they know that their their values aligned with the brand's values and I think that's another another issue that arts organizations need to to dive into is what are our values and how are we communicating them and how are we actually demonstrating them in action because I think that's another way to change that approach to to really start to think about the the new way that consumers are are making choices
1: yeah this thing about values right or and be uh, you know like, what are they a uh, brand purpose right like that this thing uh, i'll be honest with you because we've been you know we've, we've agreed on most things i <laughs> the data had like you know before the pandemic again this is like something i think that we we don't know the answer for right now so i'll be but it was like most of the time pe- you would you'd would ask the people the question and they would say oh yeah of course I, I buy stuff made on my depending on like what i feel and most of the time we found out by looking at the actual purchase data it was bullshit <laughs> and like most of the time at best it was a tiebreaker what i am curious though is that like now what what impact the pandemic will have on this and and this is like actually opens up a a good question which is like how do you do research right now and how do you understand like make sense of the data because really the, the world is different now than it was two years ago and some of these like things that like you know Maybe brand purpose was completely bogus, which would be the way I I saw the data beforehand, but maybe now it isn't, you know, because I I see in the data that I look at and some, you know, in the behavioral data, especially people have changed, right? They have changed like what they're willing to invest in. They've changed what they want to do. They change how they look at their, you know, look at value, you know, all these things that we've been talking about. I guess the question is like, how do you, you know, what is data that's relevant now and then, like, how do you do research in an environment like this where I don't think there is any certainty?
2: Mm. Yeah, you know, I like to always think about it in terms of that job to be done theory, right? So, um, your job is to find out, you know, are there are there social issues that your customers are really deeply concerned about, mm-hmm. and they feel um, a desire to make a difference, to make a change. In the in those social issues, and if so, you know how can we as an organization help them do that? How can we help our target audiences feel like they're having an impact on some of these social issues? So you're you're seeing a lot of arts organizations now trying to um, to program more um, you know more music written by diverse composers. Um, you're you're seeing some arts organizations um, you know bring their music to um, folks that originally you know previously had no access to it you know um so i think it's it's looking at you know sitting down with your your audiences um and finding out what social issues are really important to you and and what are some of the ways that we can help you feel like you're having an impact as you engage with our art so it's it's using our art um as as a medium <laughs> to 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 help these audiences feel like they're really you know having an impact creating change yeah and
1: and i and i like and the thing is it's like a, and i warned you before we were doing this that like so at some points i will play the bad i will play the bad guy and i will Go be the one be who does this um well and i think that was like a, a sign of it too because i'm not as harsh on that stuff as i like probably want to make myself out to be and you know it's like after Pearl Jam did the tour where they partnered with UPS and like to lessen their carbon footprint, I, I started to pay a lot more attention to my, you know, my carbon footprint. Right. You got an electric car, you know, look for solar panels on the house. I mean, I'm a full-fledged tree hugger at this point, <laughs> um, you know, and, and I've seen organizations, right. The Sydney Opera does a great job where uh, that's uh, actually Opera Australia, I should be like to be specific. They do a great job of making sure that the opera gets out into the communities around Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they go to Parramatta, they go all over the place, uh, you know, um, but my challenge still becomes, it's like, one. I do think representation matters because I know a lot of people who come from multicultural, like a multiracial backgrounds. So, I, you know, um, and I guess like, it sounds to me like the challenge is like people are all, you're, you're never going to defeat this idea that like people are going to tell you a little bit, there's bias, there's confirmation bias. If I ask you a question like, Hey, Ruth. Do you want to hear some some uh, art from like more diverse audiences? You're not gonna say no to me because you're gonna be like, going, I would sound like a jerk." Um, <laughs> but I but at the same time, I, if you look at the purchase d- data and like the behavioral aspects of it, you still see a little reluctance. Is there a good way to bridge that gap, like from intention to action? Is, if that makes sense. If I didn't ask a really ridiculous question,
2: I think. I think part of this is is bringing in outsiders to get their perspective. Um, you, you need to make sure that you're not just programming something <laughs> in a performative way, but you, you know you're you're bringing in outsiders. I think having a, a a community advisory board that is very, very diverse is is a huge asset to any organization. Um, i I wrote a, a a piece recently about how i. I walked into a lumber yard for the first time ever, um, and I had never, I I was really surprised to find myself very nervous. (laughs) I had no idea, like, where to go, who to talk to, you know, what I was even there for, you know, what I was looking for, and it was a very stressful experience. And uh, I got home, and I was like, oh, that's what, you know, our outsiders feel like when they're attending an orchestra concert. It's really stressful. (laughs) Yeah. And having um, an advisory board to come in and help you, you know, really pinpoint some of these things um, that can change, um, I think, is 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 really important for an organization, um, bringing in that outsider perspective.
1: Yeah, it, it moves beyond. And and when I do, a lot, I do a lot of brand work these days. And so one of the big things I look at when I'm talking about brand and like what your brand is, the brand associations, I want to go to the loyalist, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to the people who really, really love you. At the same time, I know that you have to get beyond that, because if you just talk to the people who love you, you're going to get an incredibly non-representative sample of your audience. And it's super important that people look beyond just the people who love them, because that's going to be limited. And like getting these diverse voices, it's so Mm -hmm. incredible. And uh, in your work, right, because I think you spend a lot of time doing research, you know, in, in, in all these really, really great areas. Mm-hmm. Um again, again, this is like something I I, I rattle these ideas off, but I want to ask you about this. You know, how are you doing that kind of research? How, you know, how do you go, you know, teach people to go out and get, you know, get diversity? Like, you know, what, you know, do you use like a panel company? Do you recruit widely? You know, because I know for a lot of arts organizations, if you talk about diversity and going out and getting a diverse audience, there's that big decline that we talk about. Mm mm-hmm. So then they're going to go, well, how do I go and get a diverse audience when I can't get it anyway to be to be Absolutely. my advisory?
2: It's actually a huge issue. It's 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 really difficult because, you know, you're not getting a lot of new buyers. You're not or, or you know, audiences, you're not getting a lot of diverse audiences. So it's a huge issue. Um, I I love the story of Nintendo, <laughs> um, how they, you know, in the early 2000s, they they decided to, you know, they wanted to design a product that was more accessible and uh, to their, you know, what we call non-consumers. And so what they did is they found a bunch of people who hated playing video games. Um, And, you know, some of the themes that emerged were that, you know, their haters found that most games were too complicated and most controllers were too difficult to maneuver. And so they launched the Wii. (laughs) We all know how successful that was. That product, um, you know, changed the industry, right? And it came from, I think they were, but in four years, they had sold 67 million units, I think is the number, but it completely changed the industry. And it came from conversations with haters, right? People who did not like playing video games. So it's such an important conversation to have. Um, I think Aubrey Bergauer was um, really integral in starting this conversation. She reached, I think she called it Orchestra X, where she reached out to a bunch of people who had we're not insiders, you know. We're the uninitiated who hadn't really and attended orchestra co- concerts before. And um, then she sat down with them afterwards, and you know, gave them some beer and a couple of slices of pizza, and said, "Okay, what did you hate?" Um, and it's such an important question uh, because if you if you don't have those conversations, you're not going to know what it is that's turning people off, what it is that people are feeling anxious about, what it is that are holding them back from purchasing tickets. So um the logistics of it you know it depends on your community and your organization but it does it, it it's it is it's gonna have to be a project of reaching out and finding those people who are the haters um and yeah. really having those honest conversations and and listening and not just you know <laughs> not just ignoring them and you know going back and doing the same old thing
1: yeah it, it is a uh, and i've had aubrey on before too so we've really I'm going to ruin my reputation as only being sports. I'm totally ruining it lately. Um, because I I was never really always sports, but that's besides the point. Um, it's really important because you do have, you have to really focus on it. It has to be a priority. And if it is not, then yes, you will, you will get the same people you always get. You know, it's, um, you know, it's a tough lesson to get across. So my final, my final question then is, um, so going back through all of these things, right, uh, you use a term that I love called egocentric arts organizations. Mm-hmm. If I were to if I were the buyer and I had put on a tie as opposed to a T-shirt today and I said, Ruth, so I, I want to buy into this. I want to buy into this idea of jobs to be done, market oriented. um I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep my tie on. I'm not gonna to pretend to be the customer. What would be like three action steps that we could do right away that people would like? No matter if they brought you, me, anybody into this organization, any yeah. organization can do just to like get started. Because I yeah. think like as people are starting to recover, this these ideas that you're offering up and sharing are more important than ever before. They were always important. Now they even have more importance. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would say step number one is. Is to sit down with real live people, um, whether they be, you know, current loyalists, or people that have never attended your events, and have these really deep conversations with them about what, what are their priorities in life, what do they value, you know, what are their needs, what are their, what are the things they are trying to make progress on, and start looking for themes among these 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 folks. Um, And then maybe number two would be. Let me ask
1: you, let me add on that one. How many people, because this is something that like, I think people may go, oh my God, it's going to take me hundreds and thousands of people. How many do you advise?
2: Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) I would say you, you definitely want more than 10, but you don't need a thousand, (laughs) you know, it, 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 you know, sometimes it's hard because people aren't, aren't um, willing to have these kinds of discussions so you may have to put some incentives out there, whatever whether it is a gift card or a free ticket or whatever. Um, but you know, it has to be enough where you're starting to see some themes emerge, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Of course. Um yeah. And so then as you as you start to understand these, these themes, then you have something to use in your marketing and your strategy. So step number two is start to tell your audiences through your website, your social media, your ads. How your offerings can help them with these jobs to be done, how your offerings can help transform them, transform their lives, transform their world. That that's a a, a complete 180 from the other, you know, the egocentric approach of telling your readers how wonderful you are, Mm -hmm. Um, you know you're going to want to start to write in everyday language. That's how you're going to build trust. You're going to just display empathy by writing in the language that your customers are using. And that's why these interviews are so important because you're going to get these incredible gems of, of turns of phrases that you can literally turn around and put it on your website. And people start to say, Oh, that's me. That's, that's how I feel. And that builds the trust and the empathy that you need. Um, Yeah. And it's just that, you know, stop wasting time, money and effort on that egocentric approach. You're going to you're going to pull in more people when you start creating stories that they uh, resonate with. Um, So is that three steps? I think that was. I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) So where do people find you on the Internet now? Yes, I um, you can find my more of my thoughts on a customer centric marketing and strategy for the arts at my blog, which is cultureforhire.com. Um, I have a quiz there where you can assess your organization's level of customer centricity if that sounds like fun. Um, and I also have a daily curation of customer centric arts and marketing that you can follow as well. And of course I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. so awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this.
1: I think I thought it was great, so I'm glad I was able to finally track
2: you. Yeah, up. this was delightful, Dave. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure.
0: What did you think about my conversation with Ruth Hart? Let me know by sending me an email. It is my name, Dave at davewakeman dot com. You can check out my website. It's davewakeman.com. dot com. There are classes, a store, a blog, um, all kinds of stuff they will tell you how to engage with me, how to connect with me, uh, how to find out what I'm up to. So check it out, DaveWakeman.com. Make sure you get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's TalkingTickets.Substack.com. Or if you go to DaveWakeman.com, there is a drop-down box. Check out my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Like I said at the start, there is a great article coming out from Sportico through the Jai Wall Street newsletter where we talk about refund protection now, why it matters, why it's important, what to look for when you're working with a refund protection provider, uh, all kinds of great things. So go to Sportico.com and check out Corey Left's newsletter. Uh, Corey, longtime friend of the podcast. So check it out. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm planning this thing called a podference, which is the world's very first podcast based ticket conference theme of recovery. Uh, I need your help, though. And I need you to click on the link that's in the show notes. Uh, Tell me what you like about uh, what you need, what ideas you'd want what you need to hear, um, all kinds of stuff. Whatever it is you need, let me know. That way I can do the best I can to not make myself fall flat on my face with the pod Right? This is going to be great. It's the first time I know of anything like this being done in the world of tickets. I've seen it done in small businesses and B2B areas before. I think that uh, this might be a good way to educate people in the interim as more shows get back online. Uh, People get back to work. Uh, People come back to shows and events because I know that like some of the utility of the conferences is being dampened because people just don't have the budgets for these things. So this might be a good cool tool. It might be fun. It might work or I could fall completely flat on my face. Either way, there is a link in the show notes. Help me out. Let me know what you think and we will try to make this thing work. Okay. Um, as always, you know, hey, we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, I think the Omicron variant wave is receding i hope i mean i finally am starting to feel better myself but if you need somebody to talk to don't hesitate to reach out to me you know how to reach me Um, as always i want to thank you so much for being here and listening uh, sharing the podcast sharing the newsletter doing all those things i couldn't do this or probably wouldn't do this without you so thank you so much and i will talk to you again soon take it easy